The theme of this conference is Watch Ye Therefore. In the series that we've been doing, we started with Sardis, which refers to a church that's about to die. And unfortunately, it represents too many churches in our North American culture. It's time that we wake up, as God said. Secondly, we are told at the time of the Battle of Armageddon that we are to watch and be careful about how we live. This is a time to get right with the Lord, not to fool around anymore or act like everything's okay. It's not okay. Now we come to the crisis of all. The best message I ever heard. It was given by the Apostle Paul to a group of new believers at Thessalonica. And he told them that he wanted them to remember what he had said. And so I'm here speaking in behalf of the Apostle Paul, but more importantly in behalf of the Lord God of Israel, who is going to wrap up human history pretty quick. It may start, by the way, after I finish my message. I just don't know when. But the fact of the matter is, the theme is outstanding. Watch ye therefore. And before we're done today, I want to tell you about the coming day of the Lord. Actually, that's the next big prophecy event following the rapture. If the rapture happens now, we are absent from the body, present with the Lord, we're out of here. Amen? But the very first thing that happens on planet Earth is the coming of the day of the Lord. And I want to talk to you about it. And before you leave today, after a couple of hours, I want you to understand what the meaning of watch is. I think we haven't really got it straight yet. I can tell by your conversations that we've had in the last couple of days. So I'm going to give you on the screen before you what watch really means. But we're going to start with the day of the Lord. It was read to you earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And I want to just briefly, um, well, that is usually not my forte to be brief. But uh, we'll try to be. But I want to bring to you what the Apostle Paul said should be a warning to all of us to get right with God. There's something wrong here. We were told by Paul as he wrote to Timothy that perilous times would come. And in this conference, those perilous times were described to us. And they were very powerful issues. We've been told, whether we know it or not, exactly what God's word tells us is going to happen in the way of deception. It's everywhere now. We had to, in our conference this weekend, we had a presentation of that. And we were given several famous preachers in America and what they actually believe and say. It was quite alarming if you were watching. The fact is that the people to whom all of our nation is responding, if they are, are not preachers of the Bible. 
On the contrary, they are preaching human wisdom. They want us to give money. That's a biggie on their list. In fact, there are secular organizations that have produced a list of the 50 most powerful uh, preachers in America based upon finances. Uh, the cheapest one was $5 million a, a year. It went all the way to one who was making $72 million every year. And we see an enormous compromise that God warned us about, that they're going to start really getting after us for money and prosperity. It's called the prosperity gospel. Well, I'm not here to tell you about prosperity or how to have a better job or make more money. The truth of the matter is, I'm who I am. I've never taken a dime for one book that we have ever sold in over 58 years of ministry. And I'm here to tell you that God has taken care of us always. There has never been a day that we have suffered a lack of food or a lack of stability in our lives. Why? Because God promised us to take care of us. I believe him. How about you? But we're going to take an offering now for my children. Uh, no. And I'm not trying to be funny, but it is tragically funny what is happening in our country. It's unbelievable. And I want to talk to you about it. So let's start the way Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 5 to this new group of believers whom he had taught very well. He said, you know what I have said to you. But let's talk about the coming of the Lord. Put it up there on the screen. The coming of the Lord. He said, yourselves know perfectly. I, I would say that to all of you from this conference. You know perfectly that the day of the Lord, there's where you might be confused. What is it? Is it the day of the rapture? No, it is not. Is it a day of the second coming in power and great glory? No, it is not. Is it the setup of the millennial kingdom of our Lord? No, it is not. Is it the resurrection of our bodies? No, it is not. What is the day of the Lord? That's what I want to talk to you about. The usage of that day, if we can just pull that out for a moment. It's used 25 times in the Bible. How many times is the day of the Lord in the Bible? How many times is the day of the Lord in the Bible? And all God's people said. I want you to remember these things. Next to it is a phrase called, in that day. If you've done any reading in the Old Testament, you know it appears over and over again. In fact, it appears 115 times. There are seven usages of that in the New Testament, and it often is called the day of the Lord. Now let's move to an understanding of what we mean by this event, the day of the Lord, used 25 times in the Bible. What are we talking about? Number one, we're talking about a day of general deception. I ask you, is that happening? We got preachers on television and radio speakers who are telling us that we shouldn't worry about the prophecy teachers who are warning us about the day of the Lord. Excuse me? The Apostle Paul was warning people long ago. 
And here we are on the brink of what is happening in our generation. I believe the rapture is close. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know the day nor the hour. And some people say, well, he didn't say month and year. Well, what we know right away, you're not Jewish. Because the, when you don't know the day nor the hour, that's a Jewish phrase for you don't know anything, stupid. <laughs> Amen? We don't know. It could happen before we finish this service. That'd be all right by me. I think we need to remember again that this is not our home. We're just passing through. And we can't wait to get out of here. I have kind of transferred that thinking to the state of California. <laughs> My wife and I talk frequently. We want to get out of here. It's getting so rotten. And now our governor, who should know better, thinks maybe there are 53 genders. No, there's not. There's only two, male and female. Read your Bible. What in the world is going on? The deception is huge. It's a deception about Israel, too. We have seen a turn in just the last 10 years I have seen it personally and been debating it. A turn away from the support of Israel by so-called evangelicals who read their Bibles, who should know differently. I don't have the book here, but we have a brand new book celebrating 70 years of Israel. I've given it to a replacement theology pastor who believes they are no more, that it's now the church, that that's a new Israel. But he's wrong as wrong could be. I gave him the book. He said, this book is just filled with scripture. I said, I know. Read it. <laughs> he did read it, called me on the phone two weeks later and said, I have been wrong all my life. The Bible's very, very clear. God has never forsaken Israel. He's still at the centerpiece, Israel is, of his prophetic plan. And if you don't know that, you better get your eyes open. Because everything that's happening in Israel and to Israel was predicted by God as coming right before the tragic day of the Lord in which Israel is going to suffer greatly. The truth of the matter is general deception is everywhere. Number two, in trying to understand this phrase, day of the Lord, it is a day of gross darkness. God uses this term over and over again. Some say it's not literal darkness that's possible because according to Amos 5, it says, you who desire the day of the Lord, what does that mean for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. I ask you, is the moral and spiritual darkness of this world growing every single day? Oh yes, my friends, and that passage in Amos answers, well, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Very dark. Number three, it's a day of great distress. Great distress. And that distress is seen everywhere in our world. In fact, it was on the news this morning. The fact is that the world is going one direction and many Americans are going another one. We're going for total freedom, no rules, no laws, nothing, do whatever I want to do. 
That is now being preached in school after school, not just colleges and universities, but in junior high and high school, and they tell us it's coming in the elementary. Parents need to be alert to the fact that what's being taught in our schools is going to send your children to hell, not heaven. We need to wake up. There's something seriously wrong. Great distress, according to Zephaniah chapter 1, that is happening, and the great day of the Lord is near. We need to understand that there's some serious stuff going on, and the Bible speaks about God's wrath being poured out on all those who just really don't know what's happening. Oh, by the way, that's all the people who run our countries in this world. They do not know what is happening. We were told two and a half weeks ago that there would be a major summit between Russia, Valimar Putin, and Iran, Rouhani, and Turkey, Edrigen, who at one point talked very nicely about Israel, but he's already come out and publicly, to the shock of many of us, said the goal of the Turkish government is to destroy the nation of Israel. So they had a summit last week. You talk about great distress. They couldn't even come up with a plan to get rid of Israel, yet they all agreed that's what their goal is in life. Do you really understand what's going on in the nation? Do you understand that China has been undermining Israel all the time in the United Nations? There are more resolutions against Israel than all other nations combined since the UN started. I don't think it's a United Nations group. I think it's a United Nothing group. They don't know what they are doing. As a matter of fact, last January, out of sheer acknowledgement of the facts, they announced that the number one economy in the world is Israel. God already told you that in the Word. It's going to happen right before the day of the Lord comes in which tragedy that is unbelievable is going to hit this, hit this planet. We already have sociologists and economic people warning us that the whole world is about ready to crash if we don't do something about it. Well, we've been trying to do things about it, but it hasn't happened yet. There's great distress on the markets of the world. There's great distress among the leaders, including China. China doesn't know what it's doing. Now it's very pleased this morning to be shaking hands with North Korea as they celebrate 70 years. That they're the real 70 years, not Israel. How interesting that North Korea, which hasn't had much to do about Israel, is now on the bandwagon with the rest of them. It's like the Middle East and the Far East are already fulfilling and setting up what the Lord says is going to happen. We are going to have a massive attack of the largest armies in the history of the world to destroy Israel. Well, I'm very happy to be a preacher of prophecy, one who supports Israel with all his heart. I couldn't even eat the hot dogs you had. I know it, you know, people say to me, well, you don't have to follow that. 
That may be, but I found out it's much better to eat kosher dogs. Amen? Some of you are looking at me and saying, oh boy, he's off the Bible now. <laughs> oh no! It's in God's word as well. But of course, it's a Jewish requirement. And even the Jews don't know what to do about it. You ask them, do you eat pork or ham or bacon or whatever? They say, well, yes. I said, but God said not to. Well, you must be a Gentile. We Jews cook the sin out of it. <laughs> They're trying everything. There is great distress in the world. But how about this, number four? The Bible teaches over and over again, Old Testament as well as the New Testament, that it's going to be a day of geological disaster like you have never heard. We are now hearing from the seismologists, the earthquake people, that this whole planet is about ready to blow. Uh, we, we heard all this talk as that terrible volcano situation was happening in the big island of Hawaii. We were there at the time. By the way, you can pick up some very cheap land there in big, big Hawaii if you <laughs> lose your mind. The Bible teaches there's coming earthquakes like the world has never seen before. The Bible teaches that the geological disasters are going to include even the heavens. The stars are going to fall like a fig tree casting its figs to the earth. The heaven is going to actually look like it's departing as a scroll. Every mountain and island is going to be moved out of their places. All the kings of the earth, great men, rich men, chief captains, mighty men, God names all kinds are going to actually try to hide themselves in the rocks of the mountains and saying to them, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. When I think about all the references to the Lamb in the book of Revelation, I like to call it an attack Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb is a part of the great day of wrath that is coming. A period of time that appears to be seven years. Here's another one. It's going to be global destruction. Second Peter 3 mentions that the elements, which is the molecular structure of things, is going to collapse. It's going to all melt. We're being warned about that by scientists today. But nobody's paying any attention. We're not interested in that anymore. We're interested in total freedom to do what we want and drink ourselves to death. This is a serious problem when you ask me, what's the day of the Lord? And it's the first thing on God's agenda after the rapture of the church. Wow. Here's another one. It's a day of gruesome death. Wow. God describes it in the book of Revelation pretty powerfully. At first uh, reading... We learn a fourth of the a world's population is going to be killed. But before we're even half over, there's going to be one half of the world's population destroyed and killed. Unbelievable. We are told that God is going to use his angels to perform some very serious, massive slaughter of people who have refused to turn to the Lord. And Paul says, you know... I wrote all of this to you, but thank God it's a day of godly deliverance. Amen? 
Joel 2. It says the people who call on the name of the Lord are going to be delivered. There'll be deliverance. There'll be a remnant of people whom the Lord shall call who turn to the Lord before this hits because they believe the Bible. Somebody told them what was coming and all of a sudden their whole life has changed. How about you? Let's go to another big matter and that's the characteristics of the coming of the day of the Lord. And he tells us in chapter 5, verse, uh, in verse 2 and 3, that it's going to come like a thief in the night. And the prevalent message that's on the news and with all the nations of the world is going to be peace and safety. False security. Because he says sudden destruction is going to come on them at travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. It's important to read the pronouns of 1 Thessalonians 5. They, referring to the unbelievers. So let me tell you a little bit about the characteristics of this coming day of the Lord. One, it's going to be a huge surprise to this world. That's what God said over and over again. He used that phrase that we've already mentioned, a thief in the night. It's going to be a total shock. That's over in our Lord's teaching in Matthew 24 as well. You can also find it in Luke 24. And in those passages, the message to all of us who are awaiting what is going to happen and are being told about it is to watch. That's why the theme of our conference is so important. Watch ye therefore. And before we're done, we're going to see that it refers to three important issues. Watch. So all of this about it being a surprise is everywhere. And it's continued in the book of Revelation in the final words of our Lord Yeshua, who kept saying, I will come on you like a thief. You will not know what hour I will come. But blessed is he who watches. Wow. Not only as a thief, but also as travail on a palm and a woman with child. Wow. It'll be a great sign. Brethren, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you, he says in verse 4. You're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, serious-minded. Too much joking around with biblical truth is displeasing to the Lord and dishonoring to him. Be very careful. God's word emphasizes serious mindedness the closer we get to the coming of the day of the Lord. Let me switch to another subject in chapter 5 and that is the commitment of true believers. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 Let us who are of the day be sober. There it is again. Peter used the word also, as well as Paul. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. But the God of all grace, 
He's the one that can deliver us. Amen? Amen. And I'd like to just emphasize the following things to you about that commitment. One, the attitude. Be sober. The Greek word nephemim. It's a very common word. It doesn't mean to fool around, be joking, or anything else. It means when we discuss the day of the Lord, there's a seriousness about us all. We know that the rapture could happen today, and the very next day, the day of the Lord would happen all over the planet and all over the world. There's a second thing, and that's the application of that commitment. If you are really serious-minded about what the Bible teaches as the coming day of the Lord, then he says you will put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. You know, it seems to me, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me getting older, not really understanding what's happening, but it seems to me that Christian people are fooling around too much. We're fooling around with major issues. There's something really wrong. It's like the culture of our world has taken us over. We're watching too much TV. Hello? I'm not telling you to throw out your television, but it might help. The, the point of us, we, we watch the news and then walk away and make jokes about what we just saw. My friends... The world is collapsing. It doesn't have any answers. And it's all fun and games now. And um, I did a little study along with a couple other guys about drinking alcoholic beverages. We might have had the problem in the past, and we might have had agencies trying to help people like Al Alcoholic Anonymous but as one guy who heads up that work said, it is now out of control. The guys that produce the alcohol are controlling now the advertising, the programs. You don't feel good in that program, then go get another drink. Listen, God predicted all of this. It's happening in front of our eyes. I talked to a principal of a local high school who told me that the major problem they have in high school students now is alcohol. A few years ago it seemed to be drugs and there are all kinds of drugs that are going on now and new ones being produced all the time to give somebody a little kick. The truth of the matter is what God said would happen before this happens is happening in our world now. It's not simply overseas. It's here in North America. And there are writers and leaders and politicians in Canada, north of us, who said, we lost our grip on moral issues. I don't know if you've been watching what's going on in Canada. It's now far worse than we have ever seen. We lost the leadership of a Stephen Harper who was very pro-Israel and committed to the Lord. And now we have Trudeau and he doesn't have any moral values whatsoever and says that that's the problem in Canada. If we could just get rid of these people, we'll all be happy. 
Ha, 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 ha. No, friends. I'm here. Just call me a prophet who lost his mind somewhere. I don't care what you call me. But I'm not going to stop. If I lose my teeth, I'm going to gum it to death. A final issue is presented to us, the comfort, the comfort for true believers. Verse 9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath, and all God's people said. Thank the Lord. Some people say, oh, that's just talking about hell. No, it's not. The wrath of that passage is the day of the Lord. God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him, praise God. Wherefore, what should we do in the light of what we believe? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify, build up one another, even as also you do. If there ever was a day to help. If there ever was a day to care, it's now among believers. Don't get so isolated that you just show up for church, sit down, and then leave, and never any relationship with anybody. That is not the teaching of the Bible. And as we get closer to these awful days that are coming, he is warning us. We have, for instance, his promise to us about not experiencing The wrath of God. That's the wrath of the day of the Lord. The great tribulation period. We will not go through the tribulation. Hello? Are you blessed by that? It isn't just the Apostle Paul. John taught it also in Revelation. We don't seem to get it. Or we want the the pleasures in life that are carnal world is presenting to us over and over again and we're not serious about our relationship to the Lord. It's not only his promise to us but secondly it's his presence that will be our hope. He died for us so whether we wake or sleep which is talking about whether we still alive or whether we die we will live together with him. That's why I love to do funerals for believers and no reason to cry absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you want to cry for somebody, cry for those who had to stay here. Wow. It's so important to understand the comfort of true believers. And our priorities are affected by this. Our priorities in life. What should they be? Comfort yourselves together and edify, build up one another. Don't tear down. Build up. Edification is the role of God's leaders in the church. They are to edify, to build up, and the sphere in which they do it is with love. Because sometimes the members of the church who are going the wrong way can really be a pain in you know what. Amen? Pray for your pastors that God will give them wisdom, love, understanding, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, all that God told them 
they should be like. So that brings us to a final matter. The meaning of the word that has been the word of our entire weekend. Watch ye therefore. So let me summarize all the passages about watching and tell you it's on the screen. I told you I'd put it there. Maybe you want to write it down. According to the Bible, here's what watch means. Number one, it means readiness. Being prepared for the coming of the Lord for his church and the coming of the day of the Lord on the planet. We want to try to take as many men and women and boys and girls to heaven with us. Amen? Readiness. Are you ready? It's because we don't know the day nor the hour that we should be in constant readiness for the coming of what God teaches in his word is about ready to happen. That's the first thing. But the second thing also I would call revival. Why? Like Sardis, he warned them. He said, you're a church that's dead. You think you're alive? You're dead. And there are things that you're doing that are ready to die, that are some good things. So what do you do? Watch! We need revival. That's why he said, awake! Watch and awake! I'm not trying to overstate a case. I'm here because I was given this topic to preach, and I'm glad to preach it. But I'm here to also warn everybody that's here, no matter what church is your background, we need to be on the alert as to what's happening in our churches. I see it all the time. I made a list of a few things that I see that bothers me. One, the lack of prayer. Prayer meetings are not attended very well. And it starts with the leadership. We need to learn to pray and to pray often. Amen? Call upon the name of your heavenly Father. He deserves to be honored and glorified. And we have access into his presence, thank the Lord, by the death and resurrection of his Son, our Savior. So both Jew and Gentile can now have access to the Father from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named. I see the lack of prayer. Secondly, you talk about revival. I see a lack of true worship. I wrote that little booklet. We don't have many left on the table. One of my pastor friends, who's also a professor in a theological seminary, read it. He said, David, this is the greatest thing I've ever read on worship. You took the time to describe it in detail. He said, and I looked at it and I thought, we're not doing that in our church. I just warn us all. We come to worship the Lord. Do you understand me? Please. We come to worship the Lord. It's not the pastor as wonderful as you have, Pastor Dwight. I love the man. 
But I'm telling you, it's not him that is the center. It is our blessed Lord Yeshua. Everything we say and do should be to worship him. And in that booklet, I describe a number of the uh, characteristics described in the Bible about worship. And the one that bothers me probably more than anything is the lack of bowing down. Come, let us worship and bow down to the Lord our God. It says it over and over again. I came to a board of elders many years ago in a church that was quite large, 12, 14,000 people. And uh, we had 3,300 theater seats. They were comfortable, too. And we had planned to have everybody that we formerly had in a smaller auditorium in one service. But after the one service was over, people were waiting outside to get in. That happened two more times as we saw people coming supposedly, to church. And I told the men that I worked with, I said, you know, there's something that bothers me. We don't bow down. I don't really like to bow down. I'm getting old. It's very hard. I had a doctor tell me, be careful where you sit. If your knees are higher than your bottom, you're going to have trouble getting up. I was in Nordstrom's rack here recently. My wife was doing some shopping. There were only three chairs in that whole big store. I sat down in the middle and two old guys on the side. And one guy looked at me and he said, I'm sitting here because there's arms. I hope I can get up. I said, how old are you? He said, oh man, I just turned 70. I said, I was terrific at age 70. What's the matter with us? But it's like that in the church. So I said to our board, 20 men on it. I said, would it be possible that we could announce a prayer time in our Sunday morning services and have people get on their knees? And boy, I heard all the excuses. Well, there's people who medically are not. You know what? All the people who could hardly walk were the ones that were first excited about it. So we did it. Went on for several years as God began to bless people coming to the Lord in droves. And I just looked at it and said, you know, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Let us bow down. The very word worship used in the Bible is shakat in Hebrew, which means to bow down. The issue is our brokenness and humility before the God who is the sovereign God of all and he's above all. We come to worship. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying that we can sit in our pews and also bow down in our hearts. I believe that. But there's a lot of issues here. And we say revival? I'll tell you how we can revival. After that stupid survey of pastors of major denominational churches who said, we don't preach on the Old Testament. 
I can tell you how we can have revival. Start preaching on the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Folks, it's the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. I don't want to come to church and hear about your little problems with the local mayor or city council. As important as it may be, and it may be the working out of our commitment to the Lord, I understand all of that. But too many churches have departed from systematic teaching of God's Word. You know why? Because the pastors know what I'm saying. It takes time, and it is hard work. We need more and more churches like this one and many others who have decided it's the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. We're not going any other direction. Amen? So what does watch refer to? Well, it refers to readiness, that's for sure. Are you ready? Have you called on the name of the Lord and turned your life and future over to him completely? The one who died for your sins and rose again from the dead and has promised to come back and take us home to be with him. It means revival. And that's a term that is related to believers, not unbelievers. Which brings us to the third word, and that's repentance. Repentance in the Bible applies to both believers and unbelievers. Repentance is the first word of the gospel. I said it the other night. I was surprised at how many of you came up and said, well, our pastor says all you have to do is believe. That repentance was for the Old Testament. No, it wasn't. John the Baptist preached repentance. Oh, by the way, when he went to prison and the Lord took up his message, it was the same message. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, repentance is the first word of the gospel. It's a change of mind and conduct that happens powerfully in the life of one who's been broken by the Spirit of God. The sacrifices of God, the Bible says, are broken and a contrite heart. And he will never despise that. Well, I got one message for you. Put it up in the screen. Watch and what? And pray. Thank you, Pastor Dwight and all those who participated in putting this theme together. May God do a miracle of the power of the Holy Spirit in this entire audience today. Amen? Amen. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Father, you know how easy it is for us to hear a message that we know could be life-changing and then walk out and walk away and soon forget what we heard. Lord, I pray by your powerful Holy Spirit you might move upon all of us. If we're not ready, if we've not committed our life and future to the only one who can save us from sin, death, and hell, may right now be that day of salvation. And Lord, we pray that as a church... We will examine carefully all the issues like the church at Sardis, so many things ready to die. 
And God told them to watch and strengthen the things that remain and repent. And then, Lord, we come again against that word, repentance. Not feeling sorry for what we did or said, but a real change of mind and change of conduct that shows that we want to live for the Lord until that sweet day he calls us home. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, and please don't look around, maintain privacy for everybody. But if you're here and you know that some things we've been talking about are issues that you must face in your own life, I'm going to ask you right now, lift your hand up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to get this straightened out. Now, yes, yes, yes. All over the auditorium, yes. Yes, yes. All of you, yes, more of you. God bless you. You want to get these things straight? Yes, I do too. We need to read God's word over and over again and understand we're on the brink of those things we have been talking about at this conference. Disaster is coming. We already know that from the Bible. Teach us, Lord, to get ready. To watch and be ready. And that which is not right in our hearts and we claim to be believers, teach us, Lord, to be watching and strengthening the things that remain that are right before you. And those of us who know we've got some blocks, maybe it's been a while in the past or maybe it's recent. Maybe it's something you said or something you have done that you know is not pleasing to the Lord. Are you ready right now to say, Lord, I repent. I confess my sin to you. And I thank you for your forgiveness and your love. Father, we thank you for all these folks, many of which just lifted hands to you, praying to you that God you would work mightily in our hearts until the sweet day you call us home. We thank you in the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen. God bless you.